Well, what is up? 11 o'clock service. I got to tell you, we've been going hard this morning. I had to go with, a, I usually don't do this, I had to go with a little cup of coffee right here before this service. I want to bring it strong. Uh, after the first service, I was starting to fade, so I had to have a little, have a little pick-me-up. It's going to affect my nap this afternoon, but that's how much I love you guys because I want to be able to deliver today because we are uh, in the second week of this Exodus series, as you saw the video, but this, this passage we're looking at today is just so good. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Exodus chapter 2. And uh, the word exodus means exit. And, and I think this, I think all of us are looking for an exit, right? I mean, right now with what's going on with COVID-19, anybody looking for an exit? You want that to be over? I think we would all agree that we're, we're, ready, we're ready for an exit. We're off of that highway, right? With the, just the unrest that's going on in our, in our country, we're ready for an exit. I mean, I'm ready to exit 2020. Anybody else? Just about ready to be done. But in our own lives, I think we just want to know, how can I break free from where I am to where God wants me to be? And I think Exodus chapter 2 is so super helpful as we take a look at this passage. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and look in verse 1. And I, I want to say this before we study the Scripture today. We're going to look at 10 verses. And, and this is a section that if uh, you had the privilege of growing up in church, you're probably pretty familiar with this story. But we're going to look at it. Uh, through maybe a, a different lens, because I believe this in life. I, I believe this. I believe that all of us have a decision to make. We can either really hide out and really keep God at arm's length and, and really hide out from the Lord, keep from the Lord from doing what He wants to do in our life, or we can let God do this, draw out of us the things that He wants to draw out of us. So the decision that I have to make in my life is I want to keep hiding out, or am I ready for God to draw out what he wants to draw out of me? We're going to see that in the story today. Now, in verse 1, it says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Now, that just tells us the, the tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe. So it tells us what we're about to read has a, a little bit different significance. The children of Israel have been captive now in Egypt for 400 years. They're going through a period of suffering in their slavery, and they are crying out for a deliverer, for a Savior. And God has heard their cries, which is good news, and He is about to raise one up. Uh, verse 2 it says, and she, who is she? It is Moses' mom. Interesting, Moses is writing the book of Exodus. He writes the first five books in the Old Testament. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, that's an interesting passage because every mama that I know, when she looks at her baby, would say the same thing. That's a fine child. Here's what I know as a pastor who visited a lot of babies in the hospital. Not every baby that's born is a fine child, Right? You look at them, some of them are like, whoa, that is a baby. That is sure enough a baby. Uh, we had uh, two boys, and I'm not going to say which one. One of ours, uh, Amy and I still, re we laugh about this all the time. We, we remember sitting in the room that night after everybody left, and she kept saying, he, he, he's cute, isn't he? And I said, I, no, he's not. But God's not through yet. So he, he, at this point, he looked like a catfish when he was born. But, I mean, he shaped up, and things got, things got better for him. But this isn't really that. When she said, he's a fine child, it, it, isn't, it isn't just a mom saying, boy, he, he's cute. It's really Jochebed saying, I see something in this boy. God has his hand. She could see evidence of God's grace that was there, glimpses of the deliverer who is to come when she could hide him no longer. Now, it's hard to hide a three-month-old, right? And you have to think about this story. Pharaoh had said that every male child should be thrown into the Nile, and she could not hide this baby from crying any longer. said when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. This is, for me as a Bible nerd, this is, this is, one, of, this is one of the great 
great passages in all of Scripture. There's only two times in the Old Testament that this word is used. The first time, the word for basket, it's really translated ark. It's used with uh, Noah and Noah's ark, and it's used with Moses and the ark or the basket that his mom placed him in. And so here's here. think about this for a second. Jochebed Moses' mom is doing what Pharaoh asked her to do, right? That all the firstborn, not all the firstborn, I'll get to that in a moment, all the male children should be thrown into the Nile. And she puts him into the Nile, but she puts him into the protection of God's sovereignty, his plan. She puts her faith and trust in this ark to hold him up because she saw that the ark really stood up against the judgment of God in the story of Noah. And so she is, she is placing her faith in this protection for her child. Now, can I tell you something? One of the first calls I got today was a dad who's dropping his child off in a university just outside of Chicago. All weekend long this weekend and throughout the week next week, parents will be dropping their kids off uh, at universities all over our country. That's a pretty scary thing for moms and dads. If you haven't done that, it can be a scary thing. It's a very scary thing in the midst of a pandemic, right? You see that? And so we all think about that as a parent. This is a, this is a dangerous world that we're trying to raise kids in. I hear that from parents all the time. Would you agree with that? And that can be overwhelming sometimes, but this story is so helpful because, listen, God has a way if we would trust him to protect and provide in the most dangerous circumstances and situation. And that's what this ark does uh, for Moses and his life. Now, let's read on. She placed the child in it, put him among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So this is a very important thing. Jochebed, uh, Moses' mom, after she places him, she lays him down. She puts her faith and trust in God. She lays him down in the Nile, and then she walks away. Now, many times in my life where God asked me to lay some things down, to trust him with some things in my life, I want to lay those things down, but then I want to pick it up pretty quickly. Anybody with me? If things aren't going or tracking the way that I want to do, I want to kind of pick it back up a little bit. And so Jochebed, just, she just walks away, and Miriam, Moses' sister, stays behind uh, to watch what is happening or what's going to happen. Now, before we go a little bit further, here's one of my problems with this story, my problem. I grew up in the church, which I'm thankful for that, thankful for moms and dad, mom and dad who took me to church and, and grandparents who loved Jesus. I'm thankful for, for that. I've made more little popsicle stick, uh, Noah, or excuse me, Moses baskets than the law allowed, right? Every year, you know, you make a little basket out of popsicle sticks. And so I, I just had this story. It's just such a safe story, right? A popsicle stick arc story. And, and I saw the Nile River kind of like the Stones River. Because, I mean, I mean we're, we're less than a quarter of a mile. We just walk through our parking lot. We could be at the Stones River, right? You guys with me? I mean, we could take a field trip. We're not going to do it. That'd be awkward. You guys would just leave. But we could go there. Well, I think about the Nile River, I think about the Stones River. Listen, the Nile River is nothing like the Stones River. In fact, the Nile River is the second longest river in the world. The Nile River has some stuff in it that the Stones River doesn't have in it. Let's just give you a picture of one thing that's in the Nile River that the Stones River doesn't have. Uh, not me. Uh, there it is, yeah. That's Anilius crocodilius. That is the scientific name for the Nile crocodile. You didn't see that on your walk on the Greenway over the weekend, did you? I mean, that's, that's real. That's what's hiding in the reeds there in the Nile. And so all this situation, you see God's sovereignty, his protection, and his plan, even in an impossible, dangerous situation. So Miriam is standing back. She's watching what's about to go down as the baby's there uh, in the river. Verse 5, then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slaves to get it. Here's one of the things, ladies, think about this. This, this, this story is for you. Like, I hear some people, and I have a, I have a, a friend who, 
uh, has, is really walking away from the faith. And one of the problems is she, she, she will say to Amy and I that the Bible is so patriarchal. It's just all about men and, 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 and condemning women. And I would say the, it's just the opposite Nobody elevates the role of, of, of women more than the Scripture does, certainly in, in its time. The story of the Exodus, women are at the center stage in the story of the Exodus. In fact, in chapter 1, who is it that is rescuing the baby from the Hebrew midwives? Is it the men or women? I mean, it's the women. I said that wrong. It was the midwives that were rescuing those children, right? In this story, you see women that really are rescuing this baby. And it was Pharaoh that was, he was afraid. The men were the threat. So that's why he wants to kill all these, these males to kind of eradicate the Hebrews. But it's women that God uses in such a powerful way to really tell this story. So verse 6, she, meaning Pharaoh's daughter, opened up the basket and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. The Hebrew there is, she was moved to compassion. Now, what do people say? People say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, in this case, Pharaoh's daughter, the apple fell far from the tree. She's not like her dad. Her dad wanted all these babies thrown into the Nile and killed. She has compassion. Why? Because I believe God gave her that compassion for this Hebrew child, right? Then uh, this is one of the Hebrew babies she has. So she's, that's there in Scripture. So she's not confused. This isn't just a normal child. She understands that it's a, a Hebrew child, a child that she's supposed to eradicate. Verse 7, then his sister, I love this, asked Pharaoh's daughter. Who's his sister? Moses' sister. Ask Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? There's a lot here, right? Here's Miriam. She sees an open door, right? She sees Pharaoh's daughter with the, with the show of compassion, and when God opens that door, she just walks right in there by faith. Hey, I see you got a baby on your hands. Need some help with it? Because I might know somebody who can help you, right? And, and that's a great thing. When God opens a door, we ought to be courageous enough to walk in. Does that make sense? Walk in that door that God opens, and Miriam does that. Yes, here's, here's Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mom. That's Jochebed. Now, she's laid the baby down. Now she gets to pick the baby back up again. Is that pretty cool? I would answer that as yes. It wasn't a trick question. Yeah, I think it is. It just, just gets better, right? So she said, go get the girl. The baby went and got the baby's uh, mother. Pharaoh, verse 9, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will, moms, pay you what every mom has wanted through the history of time, compensation for their efforts, right? I mean, not only does Jochebed get to raise him, and when Pharaoh's daughter said, yeah, go find somebody who can nurse him. Now, think about that. It's not nurse like we would think. It's not like go find somebody to feed this baby a couple times a day. No, that means you take him and raise him until probably he was four or five, maybe even six years old, and, and then bring him back to me. So care for him. In fact, here's a little jumping off. That, that, that is where this foundation of faith in the living God was laid in Moses' life during that time. So if you're a parent of a preschooler, boy, isn't that important work? that God's calling us to do. So yeah, you take him and raise him, and then I'll pay you. That's a good deal, isn't it? You see? So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Verse 10, when the child grew, Moses grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So part of what that meant is now Moses is old enough, he's old enough to go to school, and he comes into Pharaoh's house. Isn't this interesting? The, the one who would redeem Israel from captivity in Egypt is being raised in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh is funding the redemption that's going to come. Is that amazing? Do you see that? Only God could do something. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Not only that, he's educating him. Uh, Moses would be educated, get the finest education in the world, you see, 
And he's going to, God's going to use that to prepare him to lead the children of Israel out. Now, now watch how this closes, verse 10. And then we'll stop here, and I want to make a couple points. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses because she remembers the time that she drew him out of the water. Now, this is this overarching theme throughout Exodus. God, Here's what God wants to do in your life. Listen. If you don't get anything else today, get this. Here's what God is wanting to do in your life and he's wanting to do in my life. God is wanting to draw us out so he can draw us in. God is wanting to draw us out and away from things that are enslaving us and and holding us captive so he can draw us into a place of intimacy with him and freedom and joy like you've never had. God is wanting to draw out of you and me fear and anxiety. God is wanting to draw out unforgiveness in our life. God is wanting to draw out selfishness in our life, prejudice in our life. All these things God is wanting to draw out so that he can draw us in. The only other option you have, listen, is to hide out. You can either hide out or you can let God start to draw these things out. Now, here's the irony When we let God begin to draw these things out of us, that's when we experience freedom. But when we hide out, we stay in slavery. Let's look at about four things just very quickly here today. And again, let let me say this. Please let me say this. Uh, My wife has to remind me this all the time. The 10 verses that we just read in Exodus chapter 2, you could preach 100 different messages on them. There are so many truths that are there. Would you agree with that? I mean, there's a great message there on parenting. There's a great message there on faith and trusting God in impossible situations. There's 100 different messages that you can find. That's what's so amazing about God's Word. Every time I read a passage, God shows me something different. Do you you see that? It's just another facet of that. But we're going to look at one angle of it today. Does that make sense? I'm not going to say everything you could say about this passage. And some of you are like, praise God for that. But we're going to look at one angle of it today, and that's this angle of, God, am I going to let you begin to draw out what you want to draw out of me, or am I going to just keep hiding out? Now, here's the first thing I want to say. Drawn out people, they know that they can't be free until they realize what enslaves them. A drawn out person cannot be free until they know what enslaves them. Right? Because when, if God is drawing something out of me, he's drawing it out so I can move into a greater level of freedom. Jesus said it is freedom that I've come to set the captives free. Now, here's the thing that's a little bit uh, difficult for us to understand. When we talk about slavery in Exodus, 400 years of oppressive slavery by the, the Egyptians to the Israelites, we're just, we're just prone to compare that or make a direct correlation to slavery that took place in our country. And it's a, it's a slightly different situation because what you see here is the, the, one of the reasons that the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt is because of their sin. That is not what happened in our country here in the 1800s where just wicked men and women who were driven by greed and no regard for human life controlled other people and oppressed other people. That was going on here. What, what we see in Exodus chapter 2 is, is different. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible answers that question for us. In Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 8, look at this. The prophet Ezekiel speaking the words of God. He said, but they rebelled against me, talking about the Israelites, and would not listen to me. In other words, God has always been trying to draw things out of us. Does that make sense? God is, listen, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 30 years. God is still trying to draw things out of you so you can move into greater levels of freedom. Do you believe that? 
He said, but they would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So immorality and idolatry, God was trying to draw out, but they would not do that. Nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said, I will pour out my wrath on them, God says, and spend my anger against them in Egypt. So part of why they are there, the children of Israel are there in Egypt experiencing these 400 years of slavery is because of their sin. Here's the point. Sin is our Egypt. Sin is our impossible situation that God is trying to draw out. And some of you are like, super cool. I'm glad I'm here for sin day to talk about that, right? I'm glad I picked this one. But let me tell you something about sin that I think is so important. And we see it in this story. You can no more manage sin in your life than you can keep a a three-month-old quiet, right? I mean, you can't keep a three-month-old quiet, right? I mean, if you've got a baby here now in church, you're just praying against, uh, just hoping against all hope that he or she doesn't start crying. I mean, you can't do that. You can't manage that, nor can you manage sin in your life. And, and so what is it? Let's talk about it for just a second because you can never be free. Here's the point. Please, don't, do you want to be freer than you are today? I do. I want to be freer than I am today. But I, I, I can never be free until I really know specifically what it is that enslaves me. And that's the work that God wants to do through the Holy Spirit to draw those things out of you. Sin is any act. Watch this. Watch this. Sin is any act. It's any thought. It's any desire or emotion, word or deed that displeases God and deserves, deserves blame. That's what sin is. It's any act or any thought, any deed that, that, that really is contrary to the will of God and deserves blame. Now, here's the point. We don't talk about this very much. We are sinners. Watch this. Watch this. We're sinners by birth, by choice, and by the world system, right? Important. College students, I want you to hear this. We're sinners by birth, we're sinners by choice, and we're sinners by the world system. And you think, what do you, what do you mean by that? Give me a couple minutes. I want to explain it. First of all, we're born into sin. We're born with a sin nature. We're children of, of, of Adam. You don't have to teach a child to sin. Psalms 51.5 says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So we're born into sin. Now, uh, this weekend, uh, Amy and I um, gave our oldest son and his wife a, a, a date night. They said, you go out and go to dinner, and, and we'll keep the kids, and we'll keep them all night. Turned out to be a huge mistake on our part. It sounded good. And so we are, it's the first time we've kept our youngest granddaughter uh, she's one, first time we've kept her. She's so sweet. She's got four or five words that she can say, but she'll never say them on demand. But all night long, every hour she would w- wake up and she was singing those words. At 11 o'clock, it was so great. I took video of it to send to my mom. Listen, she's singing the words that she knows. At 3 o'clock, it was driving me nuts, right? And, 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 and in fact, when, we got, when they came over to our house, her brother looked like he'd been in a bar fight. I mean, I was like, what in the world happened to him? I thought he'd fallen and hurt himself. And, and my son said, well, his sister got a hold of him. I was like, she's one. And her, her, her goal in life is to torment him, to scratch him, to claw him, to bite him with the three teeth that she has. And they're trying to say, no, no, you don't have to teach a kid to do that, right? They already know. Batteries included. Do you see that? And so we're born into sin. And some of you still always look at this, always see looks like, no, I don't believe that. Well, I'm glad we're, gonna, we're starting our reentry plan. We'll have birth through three next week. We want you to go serve down there for an hour and then come back to report to us your findings of a two-year-old. They're sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. Every one of us in this room, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you agree with that about yourself? I will. I have willfully chosen to disobey God's will for my life. I have deliberately chosen to disobey God's will for my life over and over again. Anybody here with me? The rest of you are liars. Yeah, right? 
Bible says all, all sin and fall short of the, the glory of God. But here's the part we don't talk about very often. The third thing, we're sinners by birth, we're sinners by choice, and we're sinners by the world system. 1 John 2.16, look at this. For, look, look at the Bible. For how much in the world? There's a word there. What's the second word say? Help me. Everything in the world. What is the world? He's not talking about kind of the created order. He's talking about the operating system. He's not talking about the trees and the beaches and the mountains. He's talking about the operating system, the way people think, the way people act. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John says that you, you can kind of nail it down into three things, pleasure, possession, and pride. That's kind of this operating system that is there in the world. Comes not from the Father, but there it is again from what? The world. So there is, a, there is a world system. There is an ideology that's in play all day, every day, from education to entertainment that is set against the will and the way of God. Now, watch this. There has been so much said over the last couple months, and rightly so, about systemic racism, right? Have you heard that phrase? Systemic racism. And, and people say, would well, you believe in systemic racism? Absolutely, I, I, I believe in systemic racism. I, I, believe, I believe prejudice is a sin. But watch this. I believe, I, I believe it's deeper than that. I, I, I believe the issue goes far deeper than that. I believe in systemic sin. That's what John is talking about. You see that? That sin creeps into every part of our culture, every part of our thought process, and every institution that we have, that we are sinners by birth, we're sinners by choice, and we're sinners by this world system. And we need to understand that if we're ever going to be free from that. So here's the question. What is your Egypt? What is that thing in your life right now that God is trying to draw out of you? Is it an unhealthy relationship that you know you should not be in? God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, keeps bringing that up to you. Is it an unhealthy view of yourself? I see that all the time. So many people are living with an unhealthy view of themselves that is contrary to what the, the, the Word says about you, but the world says you need to look this way, have this way, all these things in order to be important, and you have believed what the world says instead of what the Word says. Does that make sense? Does anybody get that? That, that, that's just all a part of, and so I believe God's trying to, that may be your Egypt. You'll never be free until you understand that. That's where insecurity, anxiety, and depression, all those things will come from that if you believe the wrong thing. Uh, um, what is your Egypt? Perhaps it is a, is a hurt that has taken place in the past, and you have just hid that. Somebody has hurt you, violated you, damaged you, and you have hid that, hid that, hid that, and, and, and you've never been honest about that. And so perhaps there are addictions that have come up in your life from porn to, to pills and, and that might be your Egypt. Maybe it is prejudice and certainly what's gone on in our country uh, today, although there have been some terrible things that have happened. I think the positive thing that has happened is it has made us really take a look. Search me, oh God, and show me if there's any offensive way in my life. Is there any prejudice in my life, God, that you want to draw out of me? I believe that's what God is doing. Is it, is it really anger in your life? Or, or watch this. Is it some unforgiveness that God wants to draw out? Do you see my point? Do you see my point? God wants to draw this out. Why? So he can draw us in. I hear this more than anything else. Pastor Brady, how long do you think this is going to last? My answer is the same. I don't know. But here's what I do know. You know, th th this week, everything kind of, every week there's new information. You know, this week, uh, uh, the guys in my life are torn up because there may not be college football this fall. You know, the only people happy about that decision are brides that are getting married this fall. There's going to be people at their wedding that wouldn't be at their wedding. You know, football, there's not going to be football this fall. So it seems like everything in our life has been dis disrupted. Can I tell you something? Why is that? Because I believe God's trying to draw some things out of us. 
And one of the things that I think God is trying to draw out of us is just complacency, complacency as a believer. You know, complacency, I heard someone define it this week, it's pretty, pretty interesting, is gratitude without any act of service. I think that's where the church has been. The church has gotten so complacent, you see, but I believe God is trying to shake us. God is trying to rattle us. God is trying to draw some things out, and so many distractions have been taken away, and God is trying to do a work there. I certainly believe it. God draws these things out so he can draw us in. Let's look at the second thing today. This is so important. Drawn out people are tired of hiding. Right? If, you, if you've got a three-month-old and, and every single night when the Egyptian slave drivers come by on their patrol looking for any male children and you're trying to keep that baby quiet, that's got to be pretty exhausting, doesn't it? Can you imagine how tiring that would be? But here's what I believe about some of you here today. Could you listen? I think you're just tired of hiding. There are things that are going on in your life that have been going on for a long time. You know God's been speaking to you about them, but you're just tired of hiding them. Jeremiah Button is a man in Wisconsin. He was on the Wisconsin's Most Wanted list for over three years. Uh, Jeremiah Button was in hiding for three years in a, in a cave bunker that he made in a, in a state park, just carved out of a hillside. Now, let me give you a picture of where Jeremiah was living for three years. When the police found him, they found him asleep in this bunker that he had made. I don't know about you. I would get tired of living there after about 30 minutes, wouldn't you? I'm ready to, I'm ready to be out of there. But I think there is a bunker that you have made in your own life, and you're hiding out, and you're just tired of it. Scripture says this, Psalms 32, 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Are you being silent about an area of depression, anxiety, addictive behavior, an area of immorality. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Whose hand? God's hand. What is he doing trying to draw it out of us? My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. What do we say about hiding? It's exhausting. Then I acknowledged my sin. What does that mean? I confessed it. I was honest about what was going on. I came out of hiding. I stepped out of the bunker, and I called it what it was. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I'm not trying to rationalize this, justify this with anybody any, any longer. God, I'm coming out of hiding. Draw this out of me. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Draw us out to draw us in. Here's a question. I'm going to move past it. Are you tired of hiding? Are you tired of managing are you tired of covering? Are you tired of justifying? We're going to do something on September the 13th, and I'm super excited about it. I want to just drip the date here. We've never done anything like this before. We're calling it a night of healing because I have to say this as, as, as your pastor. I believe God's up to something. I believe in the last couple of weeks, we have seen a movement of God here. God's always up to something. We have seen a movement of God here. There have been a couple of things where people have come together and pray over, prayed over an issue, and I think we've seen a couple cases of just, to be honest, supernatural healing. It's been amazing. But we're going to come together on September the 13th. In a sense, it's our way of saying we want to be drawn out. We're coming out of hiding, and we're going to come on that Sunday night to this room. If it's three people or 300, 400, I don't know how many. I don't care. I'm going to be here, and we're going to pray for our nation. Do you think our nation needs to be healed? I do. We can't manage it. We need a movement of God, and we need to be drawn out. We need to pray for our nation, for the, the, the divisiveness that's here in our nation, for this virus that's here in our nation. We're going to pray for relationships. You know any relationships that need to be healed? I do. 
We're going to pray for that. We're going to look at Scripture. We're going to sing worship songs. We're going to get on our face on this altar. We're going to, we're going to pray for folks who are stuck in addiction, and, and people honest about just addiction are going to come out of hiding, and I believe God's going to start a work of releasing and set the captives free. And people say, a night of healing in a Baptist church, that doesn't sound Baptist. We're barely Baptist, man, I'm telling you. We just barely get it. We're, we're going to ask, that was meant to be a little more humorous than what it was. We're asking God to do a big thing. Do you believe he can? Nothing is impossible with this God. And so we're saying, God, draw it out of us so you can draw us in because I'm tired of hiding. Number three, we're almost done. You guys doing okay? You got two minutes? Hang on. Drawn out people fear the right thing. The writer of Hebrews says this about Moses' mom and dad about the story that we just read. Listen to what this New Testament book says about the Old Testament story we just read. By faith, meaning this radical trust in God, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. This brave couple feared God more than they feared man. They were determined to live by faith. This is a big issue in all of our life. And listen, you only have one of two options. You can either let God draw you out or you can hide out. Here's what is true about people who spend their life hiding out, which is most people. Those who hide out are super concerned about the words of others and not near as concerned about the words of God in their life. Do you see the difference? And a person who's going to let God draw them out are more concerned about what God says about them than what anybody else says. You know, if I was honest about my addiction, what would my parents say? What would my friends say? Who cares? What does God say? That's the real issue. Do you understand it? If I was to really open up about this hurt from my past that is robbing me of my future, what would this person say? Or what would that person say? Let me tell you what God would say. God would say, I want to use it to bring freedom in your life. If I was honest about my depression or my anxiety, what would this person think or that person think? Who cares? What could God do in the midst of that? Do you see that? A person who lives their life hiding is always concerned about what these lesser voices think instead of being super concerned about what God says. If I was really to open up and say our marriage is in trouble, what would they think? What would this group think? What would my children think? Listen, let me tell you what matters. What would God think? His power would be being manifest. Things would be drawn out, and he would have uh, the power to draw you in. Misplaced fear will always keep you in hiding for the rest of your life, meaning fearing what other people think instead of God. Here's the irony of life. You fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. You fear man, the opinions of man, you'll be a slave to fear for the rest of your life. Don't you want to be free? Misplaced fear always keeps you hiding. Let's look at the fourth and final point. Can I just tell you something? Hit your neighbor, whatever you got to do, as long as it's family member, you want to keep social distance, you understand that? Wake up. This is the most important point of the day. This is worth coming to church today. I mean, you already got your money's worth with the music today. Let's just be honest, right? Didn't you? This is just extra. Drawn out people, look at this. Drawn out people believe that what they pick up is far better than what they lay down. A person who's drawn out believes this. What I get a chance to pick up, in other words, what God wants to do in my life is far better than what I lay down. But watch this. Listen, here it is. The lay down will always precede the pickup. You've got to be willing to lay down what God is speaking to you about. What does it mean to lay it down, to call it what it is, to acknowledge it, to confess it, to call that sin exactly what it is, and say, secondly, this, I can't manage this any longer. Lord, I surrender it to you to let a trusted friend who loves Jesus know about it. That's the lay down, because I'm not concerned what other people think. I'm only what God, God thinks. And so that's the lay down. The lay down will always precede the pickup. You'll never pick up what God has for you until you lay down what he's drawing out of you. Does that make sense? Can I please say that to you again? Because I want this for you. 
You will never pick up what God has for you until you lay down what he is drawing out of you. Jochebed, Moses' mom. Let's think about this story. She laid down a child that was sentenced to death. Do you believe that's true? Is that how you read the scripture? She laid down a child that was sentenced to death. And guess what? She picked up a man who led a nation to freedom. That's pretty good, isn't it? I want that, don't you? I want that. And and a person who's willing to be drawn out is a person who is captivated with the greatness of God because they want what God has for them. That's what motivates them. I mean, just think about this story. Let's just recap it really quickly. I mean, she lays her son down, but she gets him back. She gets to raise him. That's pretty cool. Not only does she get to raise him, but ladies, she gets a... A check, she gets paid, right? She gets paid. I heard the first voice I heard was a dad. They were like, that'd be super cool. Somebody send us a check, right? Be good. She gets to raise him. She gets a check. He gets a world-class education. He gets his leads, his people out of freedom. What she laid down on that bank in the reeds at the Nile paled in comparison to what she picked up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to lay down what God is pointing out and drawing out of your lives right now. Because what you'll pick up is far greater. Is that encouraging you today? It encourages me. And i got to be honest, God has been speaking to me this week about things in my life that I need to lay down so I can pick up the freedom that he has for me. Here's the final question and we're done. Will you be drawn out or will you continue to hide out? Can you wrestle with that? Are you going to let God draw out what he wants to draw out of you or are you just going to keep hiding out? The results are this. You'll either move back into greater levels of captivity or begin to experience greater levels of freedom. You know, one of the things I love about this story, see if I'm right, Moses was born under a death sentence. Do you believe that? This is why we're going to be late getting out of church because I'm going to wait till I get a response. Moses was born. Did, did, you, did you see what the Pharaoh said? Pharaoh said? Every male born should be thrown into the Nile. That means that boy was born under a death sentence. Fast forward the biblical narrative. Jesus Christ was born under a death sentence. King Herod. Rick, remember we were there in Bethlehem? We saw the ossuary, those bones of those children that Herod destroyed. These, these, these boys under age two in Bethlehem killed. Jesus was born under a death sentence. Can I tell you something? You're like, where are you going? So were you. So were you. So is everybody in this room. You were born under a death sentence. You're a sinner by birth, sinner by choice, sinner through the world system. You were born under a death sentence. But what did Moses' mom do? Let's look at this. What did Moses' mom do when she realized that her son was born under a death sentence? She looked back with eyes of faith to how God restored, redeemed, and saved Noah and a remnant of people from judgment through this ark. And so she, she, she builds this ark and she, she, by faith, she lays this child down in this ark and she coats this ark with pitch, with tar and pitch. And the baby is saved. Why? Because of faith of this mom looking back to the faithfulness of her God. Can I tell you something? Here's what's in play for you. First of all, you got to wrestle with the fact that you're born under a death sentence. And what do you need to do? You need to look with eyes of faith to another event that took place with some wood. It was when Christ Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross 
to pay your penalty. Because listen, you were born under a curse. And Jesus broke the curse when he gave his perfect life to pay for yours. He paid your debt. And with eyes of faith, listen, listen, listen. With eyes of faith, when you look to the cross as your payment for your sin debt, then watch this, then you will be covered in his righteousness. And that's what allows you to stand in the most defining moments of your life, ultimately to stand in the presence of God and not be cast away because you're covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what breaks the curse for everybody born under a death sentence. It's complete faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Can I pray for us today? Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you're drawing us out. I pray for those who are here today who have been hiding in the weeds of unbelief and doubt and still trying to manage their life, who have never trusted in Christ and Christ alone. And through the power of your Holy Spirit today, would you reveal yourself to them? And I pray today that somebody right now within the sound of my voice would put their faith and their trust completely in the all-sufficient work you did when you died on the cross in their behalf. They would trust that and, and receive a covering that comes from you. Father, I pray for believers all over this room that you're drawing out of sin and complacency. Lord, that have been hiding out for years. But Father, today surrender would begin to take place. And they would let you do the work that you so long to do to draw that out of them because they can't manage it any longer. And Lord, they'd begin to step into freedom. Father, I pray for that. Lord, I, I pray finally just for those who are here who have put their faith and trust in you, but you're drawing them out to go public through baptism. They've been hiding out. But Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw them out. And that testimony would bring such freedom to them in their life and a testimony to others. Lord, would you have your will and your way in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.